Welcome to History Conspiracy Podcast, where we provide the audio and you decide whether it's history or conspiracy. Today we have for you a 1972 interview with former Governor of California, former Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, and former head of the commission to investigate the assassination of President Kennedy. In his own words, Earl Warren. Earl Warren is a phenomenon in American life. He was elected governor of California as the joint candidate of both Republicans and Democrats. He ran for vice president in 1948 with Tom Dewey. Many liberal Republicans believed that this was a kangaroo ticket, much stronger in the back than in the front. He was called to Washington by President Eisenhower to become Chief Justice of the United States, and his 13-year tenure was seeded with epic-making decisions. Few interviews that I have had with distinguished public leaders have been as pleasantly stimulating. That sunny, wholesome personality shines through, and it explains how, as Chief Justice, Earl Warren could have brought off so many nearly unanimous decisions on the most controversial issues in American life. You didn't come out of the judiciary from youth up. No. You were in the political world. Yes. You were the governor of California. Yeah. Uh, even though it was a bipartisan nomination, both the Democrats and the Republicans wanted you there. Uh, well, they, did before... that, they did that once, but only, <laughs> only once. <laughs> and then uh, you were part of the national ticket with uh, Tom Dewey uh, yes. running for yes. the vice presidency yes. along with him as president. From that political world, with all of its... Uh, uh, turbulence, you move into the Supreme Court as the Chief Justice and divest yourself completely, uh, not only in actuality, but in mode of thinking of any political involvement. What kind of a psychological readjustment that that require of you, especially at the beginning? Well, this was the most difficult adjustment I had ever made in my in my mm-hmm. life uh, before or since. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I, I I've always thought that perhaps the most lonesome day I ever had in my my life was the day I arrived at the Supreme Court. I I had uh, been told by the president four days before uh, he appointed me that uh, he was going to appoint me. And he told me that he uh, uh, felt that it was necessary for his appointee to be there on the opening day of the term, first day of uh, first Monday in October. And uh, he asked me if I could, <coughs> pardon me, if I could uh, come. And I, by that time, and I, I said, well, uh, it isn't exactly the way uh, a governor would like to leave his administration after almost 11 years to get up and leave in four days, but, uh, but Mr. President, if it, if it has to be done, it can be done, and I will, I will be there. Well, he said, I have talked to uh, some of the uh, senior members of the court, and they have told me that there are important cases on the calendar that call for a, 
for a, a full court. And uh, he said, I, I would like to see you there if you accept it. And I said, I, I will be there. So I was there on Monday morning. I walked in about uh, 10 o'clock in the, in the morning, and uh, the court didn't uh, convene then until noon. And uh, <clears throat> so I walked into the uh, office of the Chief Justice, and, and there was uh, Mrs. McHugh, who had been the secretary for uh, Chief Justice Vinson. And uh, there were three law clerks, uh, one of whom had been with uh, uh, Chief Justice Vinson for one year, and two he had employed but had not yet seen because the court term hadn't opened. And uh, there were two old messengers there, one of them died within six months because of old age, and the other one was retired compulsorily uh, <laughs> at the end of one term. And that was, that was my staff. That's all there was. And here I came on four days, four days' notice with no preparation and no knowledge of anything uh, that was in the, uh, uh, in, the, in the court at that time, some 400 cases that, that uh, uh, come in during the summer months, don't you know? And uh, to make the adjustment to, to the Supreme Court from what I uh, uh, had done before was really, uh, was really a, an adjustment. Well, that was mainly a physical readjustment, but the psychological readjustment of moving out of political thinking into uh, an objectivity that uh, is Olympian. Uh, how did you adjust to the serenity and the, the Shangri-La uh, atmosphere of a court after being in politics so long? Well, <clears throat> well, serenity was something I didn't have to get along with for very long. Because, <laughs> because we were we were in we were in the segregation cases in the, in the November just uh, just three or four weeks after after I came on there, and uh, we were uh, it it was uh, it was anything but serene to, throughout particularly throughout the McCarthy days when when uh, uh, he was complaining that so many cases were were in. Uh, uh, in favor of communism, you know, and things of that uh, kind. And uh, there was great disturbance in the Congress over the uh, segregation cases. But <clears throat> the thing that, uh, that was hard uh, for me to, to get over was this. For all my life, I had been dealing with people, dealing with their individual and their group problems, talking them over as you and I are talking today. Uh, learning, learning from from actual contact with uh, with people uh, before I made a decision on on anything. When I came to the Supreme Court, it was altogether different. I never saw an individual who was involved in any litigation. We'd never see a litigant in the in the court. All we know is is that uh, that uh, printed record that we get of the testimony at the in the trial the printed briefs of uh, counsel, and maybe a half hour or an argument, uh, or an hour of argument uh, on each side uh, uh, at the podium of our, uh, in, our, in our court. And the change from dealing with human mm. beings to, to what you might call statistics only is, uh, was, was really, a, really a shock for me, and, and it took a long time to, to overcome it. But uh, I, I did it just by dropping everything else and, uh, and paying no attention to, 
to politics or or current uh, current events, uh, uh, and uh, and just sticking to mm -hmm. our our legal uh, legal work. Well, the serenity, in other words, is in the chambers when you're. Uh, working out the problem with your colleagues, yes, but the criticism yeah. that comes from the uh, public, from the media, from the people who are disenchanted or discontented or uh, in opposition to you, sometimes yeah. taking pretty abusive uh, uh, form, you wouldn't say that the political world was uh, uh, an easier world for you to, uh, to adjust to than the judicial world because of the criticism that came. Well, I think I would because would in, you? I, I think I would because in in politics uh, a man can stand up and defend himself. Oh. If if he's accused on the rostrum of doing something wrong or of not doing something that he should uh, do, he has the right to to get on his own rostrum and uh, and tell his story and defend himself and and explain the uh, thing so people can understand and that uh, that the news media will uh, normally carry and uh, and he releases the the uh, tension that he has by by so doing but in when you're on the supreme court you can't do that you you can't you can't explain anything you did you can't uh, you can't uh, temper temper the thing in any way you just have to accept it without uh, without any, uh, any answer of any, any kind. And that's one reason why the courts are traduced so much in this, in this country, because uh, they can be used as a whipping boy, don't you see? They have no way of, they have no way of talking back where, where a man who's in politics can, can fight just as hard as he wants to do it. And, that must have been pretty hard on Mrs. Warren. Uh, well, <laughs> they, well, it really was a lot harder on her than it was on me. And the thing that uh, that uh, <clears throat> she couldn't abide were the uh, were the big signboards that we'd see along the highway saying "Impeach her, Warren." <laughs> and I uh, I became used to that very quickly, and it didn't bother me. But uh, it took a long time for her to to become accustomed to it. But uh, uh, Few years before I retired, why she got so she could uh, she could smile at them too when she saw them. I want to stay for another moment with the uh, uh, reference to the climate of serenity uh, in the Supreme Court when decisions are being hammered out. Is it as serene as the outside public sometimes imagines, or are there some pretty tough hassles uh, when the decision is being talked through? Well, I I think that uh, it is uh, conditions in the Supreme Court are are far more serene than the public has an idea of, because uh, <clears throat> we read uh, very often in the press about the great uh, controversy that's going on in the in the in the court. I remember when the uh, uh, Brown case was under submission. We had all kinds of speculation that uh, that went uh, went around, and uh, just about uh, ten days before the uh, the decision was announced in May, uh, one prominent writer had uh, written an article to the effect that I was the middleman in the thing, and that I was being pulled and hauled by by four uh, on each side to decide uh, uh, with them. And that I couldn't make up—I couldn't make up my mind which way I wanted to uh, to go, 
and that that was holding up the yeah. uh, holding up the opinion. Well, and it was uh, natural since you let so long a time pass without uh, permitting a vote because you yes, wanted to yeah, uh, well, yes, have a they, thorough discussion. They uh, seize upon in anything they can to to show that there is uh, is a difficulty inside. Now, I, I can say uh, uh, honestly that. Uh, in uh, in the 16 years I was there, I don't believe there were uh, 16 times, let's say, in the <clears throat> during that period when uh, anyone's voice was raised above normal in that conference room. Now that didn't mean there wasn't serious disagreement, because we did have serious disagreement. But uh, <clears throat> when when you're going to serve on uh, on a court of that kind for the rest of your productive days, uh, you accustom yourself to the institution like you do to the uh, institution of marriage. And you realize that uh, you can't be in a brawl every day and, and still get any satisfaction out of, out of life. And so it is there. If we're going to produce anything, we can't be brawling all the time in the mm. conference room. And uh, the men I sat with, were thoroughly conscious of that, and and uh, just uh, oh, an, an occasional little flare of uh, temperament, you know, maybe uh, occurred, but it was very, very rare mm -hmm. that it did. And all the rest of the time, we we argued the things, we debated them uh, uh, fully, but uh, but without any any rancor or any harsh words in the conference room. Now it might be interesting to you to to know just how we do that in the conference room. <clears throat> in every case, the, uh, uh, during my time, and as I understood it uh, traditionally, uh, the Chief Justice opens a discussion in every case that's to be decided. And uh, he will state in, uh, in a very few moments how he views the case. And uh, take my own situation, I would usually, uh, usually say now, it seems to me that the uh, that the main issue in this case is such and such, and that uh, <clears throat> how we're to decide it depends very largely upon this testimony in in the case. And uh, it seems to me that uh, all things considered, that uh, that it should be decided under certain principle in this manner and I would either vote to affirm or reverse the case as, uh, as uh, that language might reflect. Then, after that is done, it goes around to every member of the court, not in an argumentative way, but uh, each one stating his own view. Now, the next man, uh, who in my time always was Justice Black, he was a senior all the time, would say, uh, well, I don't might say I don't view it just that way. I, I think this is a, this is the principal issue in the case, and I think this principle uh, uh, determines it, and I think these these facts justify it, and and I would come out uh, I would come out the other way. I would uh, do so and so. Now that's if he disagreed with me. If he agreed with me, he might uh, might say, well, I I agree with the chief justice. I, that's 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 the way I would uh, view it and decide it and. And so we go on till everybody has spoken without any, any argument of any kind until everybody has generally stated his, uh, his views. And then, then after that has been done, 
if everyone is agreed that, that the outcome should be one way and, and well agreed upon uh, uh, the manner in which it should be decided, uh, uh, there's no need of taking a vote. We just, we just drop mm -hmm. it there and go on to something else. But if there is a division <clears throat> on the court at that time, then we, we debate it and as, as much as we wish without any regulations or any rules, and we never, I never had to, to bother about uh, invoking Robert's rules of order yeah. or anything of that kind. We just debate it back and forth until it looks as though uh, everybody has uh, spoken as much as he wants to. And then I would say, well, are we ready for a vote? And, and if they said yes, why, we'd take the vote. And when we vote, though, we start with the junior member of the court and vote upwards instead of uh, instead of going from the chief justice down to the junior member of the of the court, and uh, <clears throat> why why we the chief justice then votes last. Now why that is done, we've never been able to determine uh, satisfactorily, but it's generally believed that uh, in many many years ago that uh, that system was devised so as not to put the junior member of the court in the position of being the last member mm -hmm. to vote and therefore having the burden of uh, maybe deciding it where the where the case would go five to four one way or the other <clears throat> well every once in a while you do bring in a junior <clears throat> member of course when a vacancy is filled uh, and is he assimilated quickly oh yes uh, oh, very yes. quickly oh, yeah. even though right. many of you might have felt that uh, this was a an appointment that uh, uh, didn't measure up or did oh, measure oh, up. Oh, yes, yes. You, you, you take the court yes. as you find it. As soon as he's in, he's he, part he's, of you. He's there and you work, you, you work with him to the be very yes. best that you can. Are you sometimes surprised at the extraordinary change that takes place in a man who comes in as a Frankfurter, comes in as a, as a flaming liberal and becomes a conservative, or as a Hugo Black comes in as a conservative and becomes a liberal? Do you see that process taking place uh, as you work <clears> with him? Well, it's it's pretty hard to uh, pretty hard to answer that question unless you unless you know the whole man yes. unless you know what uh, and and what prompted him to to be talking in liberal terms here and conservative terms here. Now, a man might be a, a, a very great liberal in uh, in political life, and he might be uh, equally as conservative in, 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 ju in judicial process yes. because they're entirely different. You see, in the, ju in the political process, the, uh, the legislative uh, bodies have the oversight of, uh, within constitutional limits of everything in, in their jurisdiction. And if they see something they don't uh, like, something that needs to be remedied, they can single that out and bring it in and try to legislate uh, on it. And they can, they're, 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 they're in what you might call freewheeling to, to, uh, to advocate anything they want to accomplish that, uh, accomplish that purpose. And if they, uh, if they can't get a whole loaf, why, they, they settle for a half loaf. And if they mm -hmm. can't get a half loaf, they may settle for a quarter. Or if they can't get that, maybe they'll, they'll, uh, uh, bypass the whole thing and let it go to another time. But uh, the court is not a self-starter in that respect. It can never reach out and grab any, any issue and bring it into the court and decide it, no matter how strongly it may feel about the, 
the condition it's confronted with. It is a creature of the litigation that is brought to it. And in every, every piece of litigation, there must be a plaintiff, there must be a defendant, independent entirely of the court or what the court might think about it. And that wends its way through the trial court and through the courts of appeals, and then uh, if it's a state court, through the Supreme Court of the state, and then direct to the Supreme Court. So when they come to the Supreme Court, uh, the members of the court have no, uh, have no way of determining what they want to hear. They have to determine what they get. And, uh, <clears throat> and so many people can't understand that because they believe that uh, a lot of people come there committed to a, a definite course of, uh, of uh, conduct and, and action uh, depending upon their views, political views, and uh, they think if they see something they don't like, they just pull it into the court and decide it. But that's, that, that is not true. The court is very limited in its jurisdiction and, and depends upon the kind of litigation that is in vogue at the time. Let me ask perhaps a less academic question. The most important Supreme Court decision which affected education uh, was probably the 1954 uh, the United States uh, uh, versus or Brown versus Board of Education, Board of education yes. in Topeka, yes. yes. 1954 it came out as a unanimous decision really to uh, end segregation in education with all deliberate speed. The court was made up of tough individualists. They came out of very diverse backgrounds. Uh, they had very strong individual convictions. <clears throat> and you presided over a judgment which came out unanimously. Fortunately, it needed to be almost unanimous in order to accomplish the purpose in an emotional-ridden uh, climate such as we had. How did you do it? Well, I didn't do it. It was done <laughs> by nine men, nine men who were there and, and who had the same uh, uh, belief that I did of the importance of the, uh, of the decision in the case. And, and uh, it had been argued, you know, the uh, term before I came and had been put over for re-argument. They had had a long time to think about it, and uh, I don't know just why they didn't decide it the first time. I don't know what the division on the court was, but uh, at all events, there was some division, but I think there had been a lot of thought given to it before it was even argued uh, during my time. But uh, in order that we might not get polarized on, on the great issue and, and not be able to... Uh, to uh, uh, work it out in a unanimous uh, way, we decided that uh, for some time we would not take a vote on, on how we stood. Normally, every Friday, after a series of uh, arguments in the court, we go into conference and there we decide what we're going to do with each of the cases. And we take a vote on them and and uh, we, we determine who's in the majority and who's in in the minority for the writing of, uh, of opinions. But in this case, we decided that we would just discuss the arguments that we had heard, the arguments we had uh, 
studied from the, uh, from the briefs and from our own knowledge of the situation, our own research, and uh, that without committing ourselves one way or another, we would continue to, to discuss it. So week after week uh, uh, on the agenda, each week uh, uh, I would find a time to, to discuss Brown versus Board of Education and the other cases that were, were heard uh, with it. And uh, I believe the, uh, the arguments were held in the middle of November, and we didn't take a vote on it until uh, the middle of February. And uh, were there sharp divisions at the beginning? Well, they weren't noted. If they weren't noted, if they if they were, but uh, but each uh, each uh, justice would pick out uh, a point that he thought uh, was debatable and that it ought to be considered. Mm. You know, and we would we would discuss it in that light without any anybody uh, announcing that he felt this way or felt that way, and. Uh, so in, uh, by the, the end of February, by the middle of February, it seemed to me that we had uh, thoroughly discussed it, and I inquired of them if they were ready to, to vote, and they said they, uh, say they were. And we took, we took a vote, and the vote was unanimous. And uh, I think it was the fact that, uh, that we did not uh, polarize our, ourselves at the, at the beginning of it that... Uh, gave us more of an opportunity to, uh, to uh, come out unanimously on it than if we had uh, done otherwise. Uh, did you have, or you did have, several justices on the court who came from the South? Yes. Was and, there any uh, special problem of adjustment for them? Well, I, w I, would, think they, I would think they were terrific. They, they didn't complain, and uh, nor have they ever complained since uh, about it. But I know what the problems of some of them, uh, some of them were. Uh, for instance, uh, I think uh, Justice Black was not welcomed in Alabama for, for a good many years after the Brown decision. And uh, I, uh, I know some of the people in East Texas were, uh, uh, were, were very much disturbed about Tom Clark, uh, the way he voted. And uh, Stanley Reed, oh, yes. gentle soul that he is, I know, I know it was a great strain on him to, uh, to determine the, the case the way he, he did, because in Kentucky, uh, they've always had uh, segregation in the, in the schools. And uh, I've always, I always said that while some people uh, who didn't like the decision uh, condemned me for having uh, dominated the rest of them, and uh, other people who were favorable to it uh, praised me for having brought them all into reconcilement on it, that, uh, that I'm not the one who is deserving of either, either of those things to any marked degree. I, I think those men who had to face up to that grave question at home in the light of, uh, of the cultural background and the mores of the, of the communities uh, were the men who are, in, are really entitled to, uh, to the credit for making that unanimous. Did it take uh, considerable work to evolve that brilliant phrase, all deliberate speed? No, that, that took no, uh, that took no, uh, that, that wasn't our phrase. Oh, it that, wasn't? No, that was used, that was used by Holmes, I think, in the, in the case of Virginia versus West Virginia. 
And it, it's an old admiralty phrase that was used in England, uh, oh, I, I think for centuries before that, but uh, very rarely known or uh, used in this, uh, in this country. But it was suggested that uh, that, that would be uh, a way to proceed in the case because we realized that uh, under our federal system, there were, uh, there were so many uh, uh, blocks preventing uh, an immediate solution of the thing in reality that the best we could look for uh, would be a, a progression yes. of, of action and to keep it uh, going in, in, uh, in a proper manner. We adopted that, uh, that phrase, uh, all deliberate speed. Well, the phrase might not have been original, uh, but the application of it to uh, this particular judgment was real statesmanship, as it turned well, out. Well, I, I, I think it was. I think it was an appropriate thing. And you know, these days, though, you'll find a lot of people who are, are saying that uh, that phrase should not have been used. That they should have said, "These people must be be allowed to go to this school." Well, if they if they had. It was the opinion, my opinion, and most of us, that it would have solved nothing. Yes. We would have had, uh, had uh, one or two uh, Negroes go to a public school and, uh, or to a white school, but uh, that's be all there was to it. So yes. we treated it as a class action so that uh, everyone in the same situation as they were uh, would, uh, would be treated in the same manner judicially. And uh, from that, we knew that... Uh, uh, covering all uh, the school districts in the country it was in, under different uh, statutes and different organizations of, uh, of the educational process that uh, it would take uh, uh, a long time to work it out. I remember the first time we discussed uh, 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 how long we thought it would take. I, I remember someone suggested, I can't remember who it was, wouldn't it be wonderful if on the... Uh, uh, centennial of the uh, 14th Amendment that uh, it, it would be a reality all over this country. And yes. uh, I, I've always remembered that and thought about it many times. It didn't become a reality no. by then, but, uh, but still much more has been accomplished than uh, most people realize. Uh, I think uh, if you could answer uh, the question as to what in your 16-year experience as the Chief Justice of the United States was the most important decision that came before you and that had the largest influence, what would you say? <clears throat> Doctor, that is not a new question to me. <laughs> it, uh, it has been asked of me many, many times. And I think a great many people are surprised when I tell them what case I believe it is. But, but in my mind, the most important case that we have, have had uh, in all those years was the case of Baker versus Carr, which is the, what we might call the parent case of the one-man-one-vote doctrine, which guarantees to, to every American citizen participating in government uh, an equal value of his vote to that of any other vote that is cast in the, in the particular election. And the reason I, I say that is, uh, is not because it uh, decided any particular issue at that time, but the courts had uh, 
uh, vacillated on that uh, question for a great many years, and there were decisions that ended up uh, three, three, and three without a, uh, a majority uh, a vote in, in any of them, and uh, which were the, the net result of which uh, were to uh, stratify the uh, situation in, in uh, states where the uh, legislature was uh, uh, grossly uh, malapportioned. And in uh, some places it, uh, it remained that way for 60 or 70 years, and there was no way that the people of the state could uh, get a constitutional amendment uh, uh, on which to vote uh, because the people who were the malapportioned legislators wouldn't submit that kind mm -hmm. of, a, of an amendment to them and there was no way under their state government for the people to initiate such a measure. So <clears throat> I, uh, in that case, uh, the court determined that whether a... Uh, 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 the legislature or, or any body, uh, uh, elective body, uh, was uh, properly apportioned, so far as voting strength is, uh, is concerned, was a judicial matter and could be decided by the courts. Therefore, there had been great doubt as to whether, whether it was a political question or whether it was a judicial question. And we held in Baker versus Carr that it was a judicial question uh, and that uh, the courts uh, therefore had jurisdiction. And as a result of that, we had the, uh, the cases of Reynolds versus Sims and all the rest of them which, uh, which uh, determined that uh, legislatures must be uh, uh, apportioned in accordance to, uh, to population and that uh, in a manner that will enable every man's vote to be equal to that of, of every other man. And uh, I believe that if we had uh, had that decision uh, shortly after the 14th Amendment uh, was adopted, that most of these problems that are confronting us today, particularly the racial problems, would have been solved by the political process where they should have been decided rather than through the courts acting only under the bare bones of the Constitution. And uh, if, the, uh, if the blacks and everybody else could, uh, could vote, the people who were in the majority in uh, these various states had a, an opportunity to elect their people instead of having some, uh, some districts with large uh, uh, votes that uh, uh, were, were just about like the old so-called rotten boroughs over in, yes, over in England. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I, I think that uh, while that didn't help either side, uh, either the Republicans or the Democrats, and no one knows uh, just uh, who will be benefited by it in the future, whether it'll be the people in the cities or the suburbanites or the, or the people in the farming areas, still, uh, if we believe in our institutions, if we believe that, uh, that we're, we're, we're all supposed to be equal, uh, every man's vote should uh, be worth the same as every other man's vote and uh, that eventually our problems will be solved in that manner. It's because, of course, uh, that decision was recognized as uh, so important that so many attempts have been made to find loopholes in it That's and right. to uh, 
even to overturn it by a constitutional amendment. That's right. You find the same kind of opposition that you find find to the Brown versus Brown Board of Education and, and the other cases. But uh, that seems to me to be the the most basic of all the cases we have have tried. And I say that because I I I do have faith in our institutions and and uh, like uh, our our. Uh, late lamented uh, friend Justice Brandeis, I believe in our institutions because I believe in our people and I believe that, uh, that they are capable of, uh, of uh, solving their own problems if we will take off of them all of the, the uh, uh, handcuffs, and, and I speak of handcuffs not in the criminal sense, but I mean all the things that uh, handicap uh, them and give them a free opportunity and, in uh, in, uh, in 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 our li American life to uh, uh, decide their own questions. I know the rules of this discussion. You made them very plain. Uh, you wanted to be perfectly certain that uh, we would not get into any discussion which would be interpreted either directly or indirectly as uh, judgment on what's happening today with reference to the court and right. ancillary right. activities. I respect that. And yet, uh, Knowing full well uh, the political consequences of a commission that would investigate the assassination of President Kennedy, uh, inevitably, regardless of how objective the, the chairman of the commission and the commissioners themselves would be, uh, willy-nilly it would have to become part of the political scene and uh, the hurly-burly of politics. You accepted the chairmanship of what became known as the Warren Commission. Yes. yes what is I the did. story in back of that, if if I may ask? Well, that? <clears throat> it's a very very simple one. The uh, the members of the court, uh, and including me, uh, have all always been of the opinion since I have been there that uh, the members of the court should not serve on presidential commissions because it. Uh, it does take them into the realm of uh, politics or so perilously close to it that, uh, that it uh, really a departure from the judicial process. And uh, I had expressed myself that, to that effect, not only in the conference, but, uh, but publicly on a number of uh, occasions. And I was thinking back to the old, old Tilden Hayes affair, you remember, when yes. they had two members of the Supreme Court, or three members of the Supreme Court, court and three members of the Congress and three members of each house of the Congress to determine that, that election, which was a political thing in, entirely. And they did, and it caused uh, uh, great havoc in our, in our country and change, caused a whole change of, of approach to our constitutional uh, problems. And uh, we, we thought that, uh, or I did at least, that, uh, that uh, a justice never should do anything of that kind again. There were those who were, were uh, uh, very critical of uh, Justice Roberts going over to, uh, to Hawaii to uh, investigate, uh, as head of a commission, uh, Pearl Harbor the oh, attack. Yes. Yes. And uh, there were those who were, were uh, very critical of uh, Justice Jackson leaving the court uh, for a year Nuremberg, to go to Nuremberg yes. on, the, on the trials of, uh, of the uh, Nazis. And uh, 
So uh, we were very, very much agreed that uh, it just wasn't good policy for us to do uh, anything of that kind. And uh, so when President Kennedy was assassinated, the president sent the attorney general and the uh, solicitor general over to see me and uh, tell me that he wanted to set up a commission and, and uh, he'd, he'd like to have me be the head of it. And uh, I told them much the same thing that I'm telling you now and told them that uh, I, I was sure the court uh, didn't uh, approve of such uh, appointments and uh, I had expressed myself uh, publicly uh, against it and, and I thought that it should not be done. And uh, I made certain suggestions to them as to other people whom I thought might do the, the job just as well and uh, let it go at that. Well. In about uh, two hours, I got a call from the White House, and it was President Johnson asking if I could come up to see him, and I said I could. So I went up there, and uh, he told me that uh, uh, he felt that uh, conditions around the, the world were, were so bad at the moment. And mind you, this was only very, just a few days after yeah. the assassination. Uh, Things Every were, kind of rumor was Yeah, things right, were, were so bad that uh, he thought it might even get us into a war and a nuclear war. And, uh, of course, that meant that, uh, that rumors about uh, Castro and yeah. Khrushchev having been responsible for our president's death. And uh, <clears throat> he said that he had just been talking to uh, uh, Secretary McNamara about the consequences of a uh, nuclear attack and... Uh, he was told by the secretary that uh, the first strike in this country might cost us 60 million people. And, uh, and he said, uh, we don't know what this thing might bring forth. And he said, I've arranged to have uh, Senator Russell and, uh, and the Senator of, uh, on the Democratic side and Senator Cooper on the Republican side uh, serve on such a commission. I, I've uh, arranged for the uh, Menard, uh, Congressman Ford representing the Republicans and, and uh, the Congressman from uh, Louisiana who's the, now the whip of the, of oh, the Democrats. Hale Boggs? Yes. And then he would get two prominent lawyers from the outside, uh, uh, McCloy, John McCloy, who had served greatly in our government, and Alan Dulles, who had been head of the CIA for, for some years. Uh, they would all serve on a committee to commission to investigate the causes of the death of the president if I would serve as the, uh, as the uh, chairman. And he said, in the light of the danger that uh, faced our, our country, uh, he, he thought that uh, I, I should not be in a position to, to refuse. And I said well, to him, well, Mr. President, if, uh, if in your opinion... It is that uh, that uh, bad. Uh, surely my personal views don't uh, shouldn't uh, count. And uh, if you wish me to do it, I will do it. And uh, I did it with the understanding, though, that I would not uh, give up my duties on the court. That I would continue to to uh, do them as usual and do this in addition. So the president uh, allowed us to to rent a building just uh, across the street from the Supreme Court. And uh, I just wore two hats for oh. 10 months while we were investigating the assassination of the president. And I would run back and forth between these two places. I think, uh, 
I don't believe I, I uh, left my work for midnight any night for 10 months. As you looked back on it, did you get the impression that the president was overstating the danger uh, when he indicated that there might be a nuclear war? Had the, the rumors reached such a stage? Well, I have no, I have no, uh, uh, I have no uh, way to substantiate his uh, statement in that mm -hmm. uh, regard. I, I'm sure he thought it was very, uh, very serious. But whether uh, I never saw any indication that we're close to to a war of that uh, yes. of that kind, because there were um, there were two groups who were had the uh, conspiratory uh, conspiratorial theory and in that situation. One group thought that it was uh, Khrushchev and Castro. The other group thought it was a, uh, uh, a group of, uh, of Texas oil men who were extreme right-wingers. And uh, we explored both of those theories for 10 months and found no evidence that, uh, that either of them was, uh, mm. was involved uh, in it. But strange enough, uh, those two groups who had the conspiratorial theory joined in in condemning the uh, commission because they didn't uh, find a conspiracy. Yes. And uh, we found no evidence of any kind uh, that there was any conspiracy. In the years that have passed, of course, there's been a whole stream of books and yeah. theories and uh, this has become one of the great whodunits uh, in, yes. in American uh, history and in literature for that matter. As you look back on the commission's report now, uh, how do you react? Is there anything there now that uh, you feel ne needed revision? I, I have read everything that has come to my notice in the press and I've read some of the uh, documents that uh, have criticized the, uh, <clears throat> the commission uh, very severely, but I have never found uh, that they have uh, discovered any evidence of any kind that we didn't discover and use in in determining uh, the case as we as we did. Uh, it's it's uh, everything that has been writ written has mm -hmm. been conjecture. This might have happened. This could have happened, and yeah. so forth. But uh, there has been no evidence yes. of any any kind developed to contradict uh, uh, what is in our reports. And you know, we, we filed not only a, uh, a report of one volume on this, but 26 volumes of all the evidence that we, we took from hundreds of, uh, hundreds of, of witnesses. And uh, uh, to think that uh, they never have been able to find one witness uh, to add to what we, uh, to what we yes. found at that time is pretty good evidence that we went into it thoroughly, and there's no reason why we shouldn't, because we had the Department of, of Justice presided over by the brother of, a, of a, the, de the deceased president. We had the FBI, that's a, a great bureau of that, was working hand in glove with us, and at the, <clears throat> at the express direction of the president, we had the Secret Service at our beck and call uh, working on it. For the involvement in foreign affairs, we had the CIA and the, all the military intelligence in the, uh, in the nations, and the president uh, directed every department head uh, of the government 
to withhold absolutely nothing, no matter how classified it might be, from that commission. And uh, we got everything, uh, as far as we know and as far as we believe, everything that any of those departments had bearing, bearing upon it. We, we hired uh, 15 independent uh, lawyers, some of them the, f the finest trial lawyers in America, to, to assist in this, uh, this work. It was headed up by the investigative work. It was headed up by Lee Rankin, who was a yes. uh, distinguished uh, former Solicitor General of the United States. And uh, they had no connection with government or any of its, uh, any of its agencies. And they worked independently, and uh, they were all in, a, all in agreement. The, uh, the uh, commission itself, uh, although of uh, many different schools of political uh, uh, thought and action, uh, agreed on the, on the report. And I have found nothing since that time to change my view, nor have I heard of anything that has changed the view of any member of the the commission since that time. Of course, it was understandable that there would be a conspiratorial uh, <coughs> suspicion, especially in the European countries. Oh, yes. How could it be that uh, an event of this kind could take place from the action of someone, an individual coming up from the off-scourings of society with no relationship to a purpose? Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, a <clears throat> that's uh, that bears upon the difference between our history and the history in Europe. Now, the history of assassinations in uh, in Europe were really a revolt yeah. of the palace guard, and uh, in this country, it's been entirely different. Uh, take the assassination of uh, of uh, President Garfield. Yeah. It was a uh, an insane man. Yeah. Take the. Uh, the man who, who shot uh, at Roosevelt and Theodore, not Theodore, but Franklin D. Roosevelt yes. and, and killed Mayor Cermak of Chicago, a deranged, unbalanced, uh, yes. uh, unbalanced uh, man. And this man... Same with McKinley. Th yes. Same with McKinley. Yes. Salgas yes. was, a, was a deranged man. And, and this man, uh, uh, we never had him uh, uh, examined psychiatrically, but then he might not have been a deranged man but he was a he was a uh, a weird man with weird weird thinking and uh, and uh, uh, a loner in the in the truest sense of yes. the of the word he worked with no one or was always by him always by himself and had uh, yeah. had deep uh, passions about things a dostoevsky complex who yeah, yes. uh, a nobody who wanted a place in history that's right yes. that's right that's the answer it was a simp It was really a simple case uh, that would have taken normally only two or three days to try mm -hmm. in the courts had he been available for trial. But he yes. was shot by by Jack Ruby, you know, before he could be uh, could be tried. But the time that uh, we took was uh, occupied in running down all of these rumors that yes. uh, were around the world, and we did run them down all over the world too. Well, then the president was right in, in asking the justice of the chief justice of the United States, with well, all the prestige attaching to the office, to allay the suspicion that was so natural in every part of the well, world. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was unreasonable at all yes. for him to ask it at that uh, time, yes. because you must remember that on that weekend after the president was uh, assassinated, 
our country was very disturbed, and the world was disturbed, too. Well, Justice Warren, you took as the title of your book a phrase that was used by Benjamin Franklin in 1787 at the uh, Continental Congress or Convention, uh, where when the elderly lady asked him, what kind of country are we to have? Is it to be a monarchy or is it to be a republic? And he answered, a republic, uh, if you can keep it. Yes. If this question, and we can conclude with this, if this question were asked of you, let's say as you're coming down the steps of the Supreme Court, where you've had uh, a very productive life and a very influential one, and with decisions that had an impact not only on the present but on all the future, what kind of a country are we to have? And you would say a republic if you can keep it. What would you mean by that in 1972? I think it would be <clears throat> the the phrase itself is uh, is far more applicable now than it was in the time of Benjamin Franklin when our Constitution was was uh, written, for the simple reason that life was very was very simple there, and uh, the uh, the the issues that were involved were were very very few, and a person could could very easily. Uh, keep informed and keep active in, in a situation of that kind. But as we have grown uh, in size and grown in complexity, uh, we find that there are wheels within, within wheels, and uh, it is not so easy to, uh, to keep those wheels greased and running and, and, uh, and properly functioning as it was in, in those, those days. And uh, the more complex it becomes, the more people have to realize that only they can keep this republic. If the citizens of this country don't do it, there isn't anyone on earth who can keep it a republic. And uh, throughout history, republics have, uh, have uh, gone down the, the drain because people have lost their interest in them. Before, uh, before the Christian era, uh, the, 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 the Greeks, had many democracies all around the Mediterranean uh, Sea, and uh, every one of them went down. Not 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 because of uh, of uh, invasion from without, but because they lost the will to the will to govern them uh, govern themselves. And when they did uh, lose the the will to govern themselves, why uh, they allowed uh, uh, oppressive governments to come in and take over for them. In Rome. It lasted a thousand years. It finally became corrupt. The people became, officials became corrupt. The people became corrupt. They, they lost their will to govern themselves. They lost that pride that, in in Roman citizenship, that, uh, that uh, was was so intense uh, all over the then known uh, uh, European world, and uh, it went by the board to to barbarians and and. Uh, uh, a republic is not an easy kind of government to, to keep because it depends upon every living soul in it. Mm. And uh, it is because I believe the responsibility to keep it must be equated with the rights it bestows that I use the, uh, the expression of, uh, of Dr. Franklin to the effect it's a republic if you can keep it. 
Well, Justice Warren, it's been a very great pleasure to interview one of the youngest men in my experience. <laughs> On the same day this interview was recorded, former Chief Justice Earl Warren received the Dretzin Prize at Brandeis University and planted a willow tree in the area of the Interfaith Chapel. I think there's a special appropriateness about having this Warren tree planted here in the shadow of the John Marshall Harlan Chapel. He was the only one in the court of 1896 to vote against separate but equal facilities on the ground that the Constitution of the United States is colorblind. And 60 years later, his grandson sat in the court, and it's appropriate that the Chief Justice should have been presiding over that court in the decision of 1954 that reversed that and unanimously put it right. We feel that that decision of 1954 is historic and a watershed and Justice Warren, I'm very proud indeed, as I'm sure our president is, to have you plant this tree, which will be here as long as the university is, I hope, as a remembrance of this tradition that we're setting today. Thank you very much, Dr. Sacker, Dr. Shotland, Mr. Whitson. Very, very happy to be here, and it's very generous of you to make this award to me. And I'm glad you found a left-handed shovel because I can't, I can't operate other than left-handed. But it's a great honor to be here.